in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am your host, Brian Fry, and joining me today are my good friends and co-hosts, Lizzie Haynes. How are you, Lizzie? I'm doing great. Excited to talk about today's movie. Awesome, awesome. And uh, Chad Robinson, how's uh, how's that Cowboys free agency treating you? Why, why do you have to go there? Why do you have to go on sour note to start? I have been, I have rejoined Lizzie. It's been three months. Right. So <laughs> I am excited to deal with her dealer's choice. <laughs> deal Excellent. with my dealer's choice. It's going to be a good one. Well, before we uh, before we jump into our our, our movie of the uh, the evening, I do want to ask the question. So this is a crime thriller from a decade full of excellent crime thrillers. Is this your favorite? If it's not, what is your favorite, Chad? Silence of the Lambs. It's perfection. It is movie perfection. Love it. I cannot disagree with that. Lizzie, uh, this being your dealer's choice, is this is this A number one or do you have your uh, your heart set on a different one? I would say that this is definitely my number one, but my number two, Chad, you took the words right out of my mouth. Silence of the Lambs is truly an A-plus movie in every way. It is. I mean, it, the weird thing about Silence of the Lambs is it toes this line of being – Really, really disturbing, yet somehow still rewatchable. I don't think another movie has ever towed the line quite so well as Silence of the Lambs for that. Like, you're like, oh, I'm repulsed, but man, this is a good movie. <laughs> 100%. And there's like, it's so quotable. And I have no idea if they really knew just how iconic that movie was going to be when they made it. I mean, Hannibal Lecter still to this day is like the most iconic villain. Agreed. Agreed. I, gosh, it, it's, it's a really hard thing for me to pick on this because there were so many fantastic ones, but if I absolutely had to, I'm going to go with midnight in the garden of good and evil. Mm. Um, I, I love that movie. Uh, I know that's not a, a universally accepted answer for, for nineties, uh, crime thriller, but it's, it, it is one of the things that really got me into that, uh, sub genre of like, the, the mystique of Southern Bayou. I know it's in Savannah, but you know, it's, it's the, it got me into that. Like the, the, the dark South is, is really the best way I guess I can put it, but uh, it's, it's what made true detective season one. So awesome. So yeah, it's that, it's that vibe that it, it, it puts out. Man, that is high praise. This, this entire decade and genre is like the Brian Fry Bailiwick. This is <laughs> His thing. Uh, I will say this. I probably watch Silence of the Lambs the most. So if you want to go with the movie that I, I watch the most from this decade, I'd pro or from this genre in this decade, I'd have to go with uh, Silence. 
but yeah, it's, there's a lot of winners in this. So there's not any, uh, any wrong answers. What was the last movie you saw in theaters, Lizzie? So we actually just wrapped up about five minutes before we got on to record uh, Scream 2. My husband and I are going to see Scream 6 in theaters on Saturday. And so we are doing a full movie marathon in preparation. And your girl is excited. This is my favorite movie franchise. So I am just chomping at the bit. I cannot wait. That's awesome. I actually just recently, like two weeks ago, watched Scream 5 for the first time. And I mean, just keep the ball rolling. It's it's going to be one of those series where unless they really drop the ball hard, it's going to be take my money regardless. They understand the assignment. That's what I love so much about Scream. Like they just deliver a little bit of everything. It's meta. It's thrilling. It's fun. It's not too scary. You know, it's that cozy horror niche where you can just move on with your life after you watch it. No nightmares. It's just a fun time. I, I cannot say enough high praise about it. Gave my lovely wife nightmares. Scream one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. I, I guess maybe like I think if your imagination runs wild with you, I can see that. She does not like home invasions, and Scream is very bad for that. Yep. Uh, Lizzie yeah. and I were nerding out before you got here, Fry. This is mine too. I just saw Scream Six. Oh, so, right on. So I am happy to report I like Scream Five. Okay. Scream 6 is an improvement in just about every area. I do have one one complaint that I can't air on, on a podcast because it's spoilers, but the actress, the lead actress, Melissa Barrera, is so much improved. She is awesome in this movie. So it's not just the Jenny Ortega show. So definitely check out Scream 6. If you liked 5, you really like 6. Excellent. Excellent. Um, mine is also a horror movie because I had not watched it uh, since Nam. Basically, I rewatched Final Destination. Nice. Uh, I still I, don't drive behind trucks that have logs. I I hear you on that. Uh, it still to this day holds my record for most inappropriate time to laugh in a movie theater done by myself. It's where uh, the one kid gets hit by, or the the uh, girlfriend gets hit by the bus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I laughed out loud so hard in the theater, and everybody turned around and looked at me like I was a psycho. But it was, I it was funny. I it is. It's Allie Lauder. She Allie plays Lauder. Clear, Clear, Clear Rivers. Clear. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Clear Rivers. As odd as I remembered. Yep, and uh, yeah. So anyway, whenever the, whenever the uh, the girlfriend just goes, if you want to stay here and and pick on him for the rest of your life, then you can just drop dead. And I was, I, it just got me. It just got me. I, it still makes me laugh a little bit thinking about it. Not just because of the situation. Anywho. Uh, so, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about our movie for the day. Lizzie, do you want to introduce it being your pick or I can, you can introduce it and I can run through the, the I would love that. All right, Uh, go for it. We are going to cover 1997's Kiss the Girls. Which is a really, really good crime uh, thriller starring Morgan Freeman, Ashley Judd. All right, I need a final say on this. Carrie Elways, Carrie Elwes. Ewells. Elways, Elwes? I believe. Elwes. Right? Carrie Elways. All right. I've been told six different ways to say this man's <laughs> name. And every single time someone tells me, they act like it's God's gospel truth. 
So Elvis. I've, I've met him, but I don't remember how he pronounced his own name. So. Stop it. How'd you uh, meet him? He was in a Princess Bride panel and it was awesome. He was awesome. Chris Sarandon was great. It was also a Scream uh, panel. <gasps> and Nev Campbell was awesome. Jamie Kennedy ruined Scream 2 for Russell, who had not seen it. Just straight up spoiled it. Excellent. Good. Oh, yes, so, thanks. He was. So, it's okay. Russell doesn't mind when you ruin movies for him at all. No. Like he never talks about you ruining movies. Especially ever. not from Jamie Kennedy. Right, right. Um, it's also starring uh, uh, Tony Godwin and J.O. Sanders. As before stated, the release year was 1997 with a budget of around $27 million. It grossed $60.5 million, which is, I got to say, that's that's a good haul. That's an yeah. excellent haul. Uh, it uh, placed 30th in the box office, just ahead of The Devil's Advocate, another good crime thriller, and behind uh, Jungle to Jungle, which is tragic. Uh, number one, yeah. Number one movie. Uh, moving on. <laughs> uh, number one movie that year was Titanic. So yeah, I mean that's 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 a thing. Uh, the IMDb rating is six point six. Rotten Tomatoes critic uh, critics meter gave it a thirty two, which is sad. Hates this movie. Yeah, man, they were brutal on it. Uh, audience score went sixty two. It got a satellite award nod for best supporting actress in a motion picture drama for Ashley Judd. I, I am curious, uh, Chad. Do you think, given the saturation of this genre? Did this film deserve more attention? Did it get like basic attention? Like, do you think it deserves more or it got the right amount or less? I'm baffled. I saw the IMDb ratings. This, I did very little research as we'll get to with the expectations of background, which came up to be kind of entertaining. But yeah, 32%. I was like, what is Lizzie doing to us? What is she? <laughs> and I, I watched the movie. I'm like, I, I don't. I don't get it. I don't see where the complaints are. It's I'm very surprised at both. I feel like the audience score is low. I feel like it should be in the 70s. And I feel like the critics should at least be in the upper 50s to 60s. I mean, come on. Well, it definitely kicked off a, uh, a, a dual uh, adventure for Morgan Freeman as they go on to do a different James Patterson novel with him as Alex Cross again with uh 2001's along came a spider that one definitely set up seven yeah and uh well i think i think seven came before it did it okay Uh, then that's what got him this role yeah yeah well and it's one of the things i wanted to talk to you guys about because you got morgan freeman and he's basically stepping off the airplane of getting a lot of kudos for let's see he had uh, robin hood prince Prince of thieves shawshank redemption there's one more I'm blanking on right now, but he basically had three fairly heavy hitter roles that got him a lot of attention in uh, the Academy and other awards. Do you think that this is uh, Morgan Freeman's equivalent of uh, taking a step back from the Daniel Day Lewis roles and uh, having some fun? I think yes, but not in the sense in that it would take any attention or clout away from him as 100%. a realist actor. I think that I think he took this role because he saw an opportunity to have a lot of fun with it. But I honestly think 
if I'm going to like if I'm asked the question of who is the lead in this movie, it's for me, it's Alex Cross. I mean, this is a, a movie about Morgan Freeman that just so happens to weave in the storyline of Ashley Judd. And yes, the two of them are dynamite together, but it is Morgan Freeman that is fun to watch. And Alex Cross and, you know, how he does what he does and he's able, you know, he's a doctor and he's also a cop and it's just like this perfect 90s kind of almost noir to it. And the cast is stacked. So I think it's quite possible that if this is a movie that takes away from Cloud of the Academy that everybody was on board to do it. Sure. Yeah. So he, he had a run in the, I'd say mid mid nineties to the early two thousands where I would stack his crime thriller accolades next to any other action star. We'll, we'll start with seven. Uh, there was high crimes, uh, kiss the girls chain reaction, hard rain, along came a spider. I mean that right there, like all of that, none of those are bad movies. Um, so I just, uh, I think that he just kind of went, he, he found himself a niche that he wanted to explore and, and really did a great job with it. And, and multiple of those are with, uh, Ashley Judd. And then they went on to do, I believe it was, um, Dolphin Tail and Dolphin Tail too. <laughs> totally unrelated, but they clearly mm. like working together. I have not seen either of those. <laughs> gotcha. I'm sure. I'll, I'm sure I'll get there. So, so yeah, um, Lizzie, uh, do you think this got enough attention? You know, I was so young when it came out. I was nine when this movie came out, so I didn't really appreciate the just Hollywood world and attention at the time. So, I don't know if I can really speak to when it premiered i it, my parents were relatively judicious about what i could watch this was the first movie that they allowed me to watch but it wasn't the first scary movie that i watched probably because i i love scream so much perhaps because i snuck behind like our banister and watched it. That's probably why I love it so much. But this is the first movie I was allowed to watch. But people don't talk – in terms of today, people don't talk about Kiss the Girls that often. I think unless you're like a true movie buff, it's not something that you've heard of. So I'm going to say, yeah, I don't think that it gets the clout that it deserves. I'm not sure the exact stats on this because I haven't really prepped this. But – I got to tell you, I'm now that I think about it, I think about all of the suspense films that John Grisham got greenlit for over the 90s too. So Patterson had two, if you count Along Came the Spider in 2001. But The Client, Pelican Brief, I don't know if Primal Fear was his or not. I was just thinking that like this was a good good decade for authors getting their uh, their work on the big screen. Michael Crichton. Yeah. Yeah. Crichton. Yeah. Yeah. Sphere. And, um, what's the, the horrible time travel timeline? Oh God, that movie is terrible. Jurassic, uh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park's awesome. That's I'm right. a third, I'm a third, I'm a 13th warrior fan. I know it's not a popular belief, but that's going to end up being a dealer's choice at some point. <laughs> um, I love that movie. I mean, that's a great Norse action film. Anyway, uh, getting back around to this Chad, had you seen this movie before? You know what? I had not. And Lizzie, I, I misjudged you and I'm sorry for assigning <laughs> unfair stereotypes, but 
I didn't do any research on this. This is 100% my lazy, lazy fault. So I came into this expecting a romance or a drama because if it's not, if it's not horror, this is what Lizzie has done to us. She's, mm-hmm. she, she's, she's do, filling a much needed gap. And she's like, here's a lovely, here's the notebook. Here's romance and drama, which we sincerely need. And I was very, very wrong. And I found out very quickly this was not the direction. So I was in the mood for like romance and love and no, no, that is not. <laughs> and it's funny because I had literally right before I sat down to read or to watch this movie, I had read an article and listened to some audio tapes of a serial killer. His, he went by the toy box killer. And if you don't know who he is, please don't look up or listen to anything. I sincerely make that plead to you. It's awful and will ruin your day, life, whatever. But it made an even worse segue into this movie because they have a lot of horrible similarities. Uh, That took a little bit to get over uh, after a few days of self-reflection <laughs> I, I got over and enjoyed this movie a little more but i'm like oh i just gave myself the worst cocktail to go into this movie that's funny you thought maybe like you'd watch or like read something horrible and then have like a nice yes come it, down of like a rom-com <laughs> i i did romance <laughs> drama what gasoline on a fire i yes yes this this real life killer who's abducting young women and doing awful things. And then I get this. So yeah, it, uh, it, it was very, very awkward. Gotcha. All right. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm being assumptive here, but uh, Lizzie, was this your first time watching this? Sure. Wasn't no, <laughs> I, I don't remember the first, I actually don't have a memory of like the actual first time that I watched it. I just, whenever I pull back into my memory, I remember this is like the earliest movie that goes back in terms of thrillers. So whenever I try to think of like what is the first thriller I could ever remember watching, it's always Kiss the Girls. And my friends and I have a list of our top 10 favorite movies of all time. And it's all of our like obscure, you know, on a rainy day, what movie do you turn on? And it is always there in my list. And so I just, I adore, I adore this movie. And I, I have to say, I imagine I was about 12 or 13 when I first watched it somewhere within that age range. And at the time, I loved watching it because I loved Ashley Judd. I thought that she was such a hero and it was just towed that line of being thrilling but not scary for me. But now as I watch it as an adult, I really appreciate Morgan Freeman's character and just the twists and turns that it takes and it's just perfection. Excellent. Well, it, it is also not the first time I had seen this film. Um with all the, uh, the dalliances I take with nineties crime, I will say this, this is the first time I noticed that Ashley Judd's antagonist in this being Nick or Casanova is also the name of her husband and antagonist in double jeopardy, which is another one of my absolute favorite nineties crime thrillers. True. So That's she has movie. gone up against two Nicks. 
There might be more out there that just put those two together today. So yeah, it's uh, there might be more Nicks out there. So beware. Uh, yeah. So I'd seen it. Uh, I actually had the movie. I'm pretty sure this is one of my, um, uh, Chad helped me. What was the DVD store on high, uh, high street vintage videos and games. Yeah. Vintage videos and games. So, uh, Morgantown, West Virginia has, or had an awesome used game and DVD store. And I bought so many DVDs from that place. And I am fairly certain this was one of them. So shout out to them if they're still out there and kicking. Lizzie, I'm, I'm curious, uh, did you get anything new out of, out of it this time around? I don't think that I necessarily get anything new out of it. I, But I just I have fun with it. I, I've always – I've used the term on this show cozy horror before where it's just this mm-hmm. idea where you get scared – in a nice way that almost just kind of warms up your soul where it's uh, it's a comfort scare. And then when it's over, you just move on with your life. It's not something that's going to give you nightmares. And I – even though this movie is not necessarily within the horror genre, it's thrilling. And so it is so much fun for me to watch. So I don't think that I necessarily get anything new out of it. But when I turn it on, it almost feels like the movie equivalent of chicken noodle soup to me. <laughs> I just like really love uh, cozying up to it. You, you have such weird comfort. <laughs> I mean, she's but she's not wrong because I I frequently turn to this genre as a whole for the man. I don't know what to watch. I'm just gonna put on. Usual suspects. Oh, dude, I forgot. I freaking forgot. Usual suspects. That's it's totally tops. Uh, Midnight in the garden for me. Usual suspects. Changing my yeah. answer. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it's it. it I I feel you on this. Is a comfort genre. Uh, I yeah, I agree. All right, folks. Well, we are about to spoil this movie for you. So if you have not watched 1997's Kiss the Girls yet then please pause here and watch the film. Otherwise, you're going to know what happens. We'll be right back right after this break. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we are back. Once again, we will be ruining the plot of 1997's Kiss the Girls for you guys now. And uh, so pause, take a break, watch the film, or don't. Alex Cross is a forensic psychologist psychologist and detective who heads to Durham, North Carolina after his niece Naomi goes missing for four days. Turns out that many young women in the area have vanished and soon after Alex finds one of the young women dead, naked, and tied to a tree. Kate McTiernan, who's a doctor, is then kidnapped from her home and awakens to a masked man who calls himself Casanova. 
She's informed that she, along with several other women, are there to learn what love is. Disinterested, Alex manages to escape and helps Alex with his investigation. That leads to L.A., where Dr. William Rudolph is discovered via his massive orders of the drug Systole, used as kind of a date rape and amnesiac drug. Turns out Rudolph was a copycat, and the real Casanova escapes during a showdown in their evil lair. The other captured girls, including Naomi, are freed, and Kate relaxes in her home, but soon discovers one of the detectives on the case, Nick Ruskin, is the real Casanova, and he attacks her. Alex figures out it's Nick by analyzing signatures and saves Kate at the last second by shooting Nick through a carton to avoid setting off an explosion from a leaking gas line. Got milk? <laughs> so, quick question. Do we buy that the milk would save the day there? 2013 Mythbusters proved that it's nearly impossible to set off a leaking gas line via a muzzle explosion. So, yes, I buy the milk, but no, it was not necessary. Interesting. I did not know about the Mythbusters tidbit. Well done. Well but done. You- I love Mythbusters, but you know what? I don't expect Alex to know in that situation, so he took precaution. Yeah, better safe than sorry. So, yeah, it it wasn't needed, but... It was a great move. It was a great move. He may not be up with... Well, Mythbusters was 2013, so it was too late to help Alex in the situation. He just... He said, you know what? I'm not risking it. He was was on it. He was on it. It was excellent. He's a marksman. Like right in the head, right between the eyes. <laughs> right. Uh, another interesting thing that I kind of took from this film that I didn't recognize it right away. I had turned the corner and I was doing something away from the television screen when Seth, Naomi's boyfriend in the movie, I uh, believe his Richard Jones, I think is who plays him. Mm-hmm. If you're not watching the screen, that guy sounds just like Denzel Washington. Hmm. Oh, I could see that. When he talks about how he how she used to play her violin there. I can yeah. see that because his voice has a really unique cadence to it that does sound like his. Right, right. I was around the corner. And I was like, wait, is Denzel in this? And I came around. I was like, oh my God, that guy sounds just like him. That's wild. So anyway, another weird little tidbit. It's funny the things that you'll pick up on not meaning to. And and I felt like this one had a, had a variety of those for me. How did you feel about the plot unwind on this and and is this is this a a what's the over under on twists for you lizzie so i feel like this movie so with all crime thrillers there's that simple formula right where you've got the antagonist and your protagonist and a couple maybe other like subplots but then there's always dozens and dozens of red herrings and then there's always some kind of big twist where it's the person that you least expected is the kind of traditional formula and this movie is no different it really follows that there's many red herrings but I think as far as twists go the really only twist in the movie that I feel is you could really categorize as a true twist is is the one at the very end where you have your true Casanova is revealed because The whole time when, Chad, you were talking about the copycat, the gentleman caller, you're finding all of this information out at the exact same time that Alex Cross is. So I don't think that any of those things would 
categorize themselves as a twist. So this movie plays plays it pretty safe with the twists. You know, definitely isn't like an M. Night Shyamalan situation. But I will say, though, it doesn't – it is still like just as fun to watch, to find out everything is in real time with Alex Cross. They give you that Wick Sachs, which is, by the way, one of the worst names. Like, please, I, I'm sure, I'm sure that's in the novel, but change his name. He, they give you that brief scene, and he, he just looks like a weasel. William Converse Roberts is the actor who plays him, and they give you that really unnecessary swim meet scene. Like, yes, what a, what a strange scene where he's just the old man beating college uh, men's swimming team. I didn't even and, know that that was the thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's his varsity. Like, and he just shows up and he's just nasty. And then I'm like, okay, this guy's involved somehow. And it still seems like he's some he's getting pictures. So he's on yeah, like he, the, the 1997 dark web, which was all of six websites or whatever. But he, he's he's creepy and definitely should be me too to talking about turning right. up the AC right. through, yeah. through their blouses and stuff. But yeah, he was the only he was the standout red herring where I looked and I'm just like, you are far too evil and irrelevant to this plot to be that deeply involved. He right. did come back and it's like he tries to get punched and ask about Naomi's pictures, which does tell me he's he's somehow getting some of this information. Right. It's I mean, he's 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 definitely a predator. We'll, we'll just say that he's a predator. Yeah. Um, in a movie full of predators. I mean, there's a lot of predators in this movie. Yeah. So I mean, that, um, that dude, when he's like, I've had sex with hundreds of women, that is not the word he said, by the way. But mm. I, I look at <laughs> yeah, that. It's gross. Super I look gross. at that and I'm like, but why women? But why? <laughs> you could, he could be more discerning there. Like this dude's a weasel from, from the get go. He's probably married and has a lovely family. And I'm just Nothing. slandering this man. Nothing attractive about him, especially. I mean, can you imagine? I couldn't like his whole like little, you know, to quote Fifty Shades of Grey, his like red room of pain, if you will. It's just oh, like yeah. cut and run. But he did. I he uh, had not, the bondage room. No, the hidden bondage room. That's always a uh, that's a that's a red flag right there. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but they have him. They have Sykes, who is on the detective team, and then. Uh, I would say those are probably the two big red herrings. And then, you know, you have your gentleman caller, which you know all about him, but you you know that there's somehow more that meets the eye. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they really try to fool you. And then there's, the, you know, the boyfriend. I remember the first time seeing it being like, what if it's the boyfriend? You don't suspect, but, you know, back to scream. It could always be the boyfriend. You always have to take another look at the boyfriend. You always suspect the boyfriend, yes. Right. Yeah. I will. Uh, I'll give a fair warning here that there's some some book uh, James Patterson book spoilers in what I'm about to say. Uh, I read a bunch of the old Alex Cross James Patterson novels a while back, so I kept looking at Kyle Craig the entire time as the killer because in the books he actually does end up being a bad guy further into the Alex Cross series. So I knew the twist at the end was that the killer is a cop, but I, in my head, I was putting it all on Kyle Craig this time around. So I was actually surprised when it was Carrie Ellis because I was like, Oh wait, 
I forgot. Like, but this guy still is a bad guy. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was literally waiting for it to be the FBI director, and it ends up being, you know, the the police detective. And I'm like, ah, but you're still. I remember you're still a bad guy. So uh, yeah, that that was that was the twist that undid it for me uh, this watch around because I had I had forgotten that this wasn't the the coming out party for um, uh, J O Sanders uh, Kyle Crick as the mastermind I believe is what he was called in the books. The mastermind. Mm. I feel like yeah, at least sixty plus percent of the time, whenever you're talking about a crime thriller, the bad guy is always a cop. Like I would say, not always, but sixty percent of the time. I mean, they're they're it's they're very well placed to yes. know how to do things more more correctly, I should say. So yeah, let's talk about this cast for a minute. Uh, it's it's deep. This is a super deep uh, cast. So you got Morgan Freeman, Ashley Judd, Carrie Ellis, Alex MacArthur, Tony Godwin, J.O. Sanders, Bill Nunn, Brian Cox. I don't want to ruin one of my superlatives, so I'm going to leave one name off of this list that that blew my mind because I didn't realize who it was at the time. But <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, one Brian Cox has like three lines in this whole film, but still, you know, Brian Cox is in it. So uh, this movie's got tons of depth. Uh, Chad, uh, what do you think about this cast? Yeah, reading the cast list going in, I was I was blown away. Like. Wow, all these people are in it. I got excited for it. Again, I was expecting maybe a Carrie Ellis Ashley Judd romance. That is, that I is that. yeah. I mean, he was trying to teach her about love. I suppose I sort of, I sort of got that. But what is love? Yeah, I I got very excited. Bill Nunn's someone that just pops up in various things. Yeah, I Indeed. feel like I feel like he's always cop adjacent yes <laughs> he's yes. just someone like reginald Vaux johnson it's like all right you're gonna you're gonna play a cop and i'm gonna love it i'm gonna love your presence i wanted more of him and tony goldwin my goodness that he's such a creep with will yes. rudolph yes. Yes. just masterful his voice is unbelievable it's like yes. pure melted butter i just i love his voice and he did the voice of casanova it was not carrie ellis I actually thought for the longest time, I don't know who what his name is, but he Tony Goldwyn has a really similar voice to the antagonist in The Mask, like in Jim Carrey's The Mask, you know, or oh Cameron goodness. Diaz's boyfriend. He has that kind of same deep, um, kind of almost like it's like a purr quality to his voice where it's just very inviting. And for the longest time, I thought that was the voice of Casanova. But then later, you know, you just realize that Tony Goldwyn's just kind of talking to himself. <laughs> and he's another one. So I don't know if it's fair to say that that Ashley Judd is in a bunch of Tony's movies or that Tony is just in a bunch of Ashley Judd movies. But they've show, shared the screen a lot also. They played Triss's parents. Like the two of them played Triss's parents in Divergent. Yeah, uh, so you got "Kiss the Girls," someone like you, but yeah, I, I feel like I feel like there are squads of you know action thriller folks, and they just sort of all marinated in the same colander in the '90s and 2000s and whatnot. So these 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 folks all see each, a lot of each other 
uh, throughout the years. Lizzie, uh, anything to add on casting for this film? I just think Ashley Judd is just absolutely brilliant. I adore her and I think she's she was truly whenever I thought about 90s crime thrillers that was for a very long time that would be my answer when asked my favorite movie genre and she just I associate that with her like in the same way that everybody has like their Batman that they associate with with the Batman franchise, I always associate Ashley Judd with just the 90s crime thrillers. You know, you've got Double, Je- Double Jeopardy and I I can't even like go down the list in my mind of what all, all of the different ones that she's in. I just – I love them so much and I, I think she plays the role so brilliantly because she has this really lovely innocence about her while still maintaining a tenacity that's really required of the role and I just – she's perfect. She is insane because she she wanted to do all of her own stunts. She took kickboxing beforehand, so she she's doing almost all of her own stunts. But then she insisted, it's like, let me jump off. It was a hundred and fifty foot jump from that waterfall. Oh, for I the thought, waterfall. Yeah, I thought it was much shorter, and it's not. It's one hundred and fifty feet, and that stuntman almost ended his own life. I don't know. Really close to the rocks. You watch yeah. that, and you're like, that's. <laughs> Yeah, the studio was like, hey, Ashley, you are absolutely not doing that. So it's a stuntman in a wig, but he almost bit it too. I was very concerned, like, oh, that's that's the shot we went with. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as Ashley Judd goes, I mean, she was literally killing it this decade. You had uh, Natural Born Killers, Eye of the Beholder, Time to Kill. Yes. I mentioned, yeah, I meant, I mentioned high crimes uh, before, but one of my favorite, she was in heat. Um, mm-hmm. But one of my favorite ones that she ever did was with Samuel Jackson and Andy Garcia's a movie called twisted. Yes. And oh my gosh. That, I that, was thinking about that. I, I love that movie. That is an, that's another good one just to chuck on sometime. But yeah, that movie was, it was, I mean, again, pretty messed up, but also awesome. We just a very little side note. My, Mom and I went to go see – I promise I have a point. We went to go see The Passion of the Christ like when it came out in theaters and it was so intense that I started crying like way too hard. And then we um, – so I we had to leave. Like it was just I couldn't handle it. And so then we went from that into – we were like, oh, the butterfly effect. Like we can go – it's a movie about butterflies. Like let's go in this movie. <laughs> no. No joke. We went in right as that bully is burning Ashton Kutcher's dog in a oh burlap sack. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> my mom's like, twisted. This is Ashley Judd in it. We're going to be okay. And so she takes us in there. And that is how I watched Twisted for the first time. And I love that movie. Did you ever figure out how Passion of the Christ ends? Yes, I finally watched it. But I mean, it's that's a toughie. It's a hard one to get through. It's a twist ending. <laughs> yeah, so... Fry, you you mentioned Denzel Washington earlier, though the boyfriend sounding like him. He almost got the lead role. He had a conflict, mm. though. So it, I like Morgan Freeman better. Like Denzel Washington's a bit more intense. I think he's very he, he's stern. He can bring it. He got to play a very similar character, though. Um, I'm not sure what the year was, but The Bone Collector with Angelina Jolie. Yeah. So I, I, I always drew a lot of para, uh, parallels 
between Denzel's character in Bone Collector and and uh, Morgan Freeman's in Kiss the Girls. So he uh, he got he, he got to, he got to do it too. I'm guessing Russell's sad. I, Lizzie's already praised Ashley Judd up and down, but Gillian Anderson. She this was during her X Files hiatus. She mm. was offered the part of Kate McTiernan. And I kind of want that. I I'd, I'd watch it. I'd watch I know it. Russell. I know Russell wants it. <laughs> I don't think she could be innocent enough. I think that there she has this like such a sweetness to her that I don't think Jillian can have. She seems too rough around the edges for me. Oh, oh, hot take. I'm. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I'd watch it no matter what. But I've got to tell you, as a lo- lifetime diehard X Files fan. I've had a hard time with her in other roles since then. Like I'll watch just about anything with her in it. And when I see her, I'm just like, Oh, Scully, what are you doing? So yeah, I, I, I don't like, I don't, I don't particularly like painting actors with one brush. Like this is you forever. But X-Files was so important to me as a kid that I've struggled with, with her stuff since then. Uh, She was actually a, she was in that pale blue eye new Netflix movie uh, that I watched recently. Yeah. And I was just like, Jillian, Jillian, Jillian. <laughs> she goes blonde in most of her new movies too. That's a bit. She, that throws I, me I'm, off. I'm curious if that's her natural hair color or not. I've never, I've never did a deep dive on that either, but uh, no, you are not wrong. I kind of wanted someone with a stronger Southern accent. And my initial thought was, okay, let's go get Jodie Foster. And then immediate backtrack of, wait a minute, this is already like Silence of the Lambs light. So you're telling me that a you're telling me that a Judd doesn't have a strong enough Southern accent. It sounded fake. She's a Kentuckian. Yes, and it doesn't sound like it fits in North Carolina. They are different (laughs) accents. It is true. Uh, that was one of the most fun parts of this movie for me is I, you know, I spent five years in the research triangle. So I was, right. I was constantly just like, Ooh, Oh, where, yeah. what's this? You're the, oh, I've you're the Leonardo DiCaprio meme with the drink, just pointing at the screen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I know that place. I know those woods. I've hiked in those yeah. woods. Well, in, in the Eno River is, you know, features fairly prominently in this film, or at least I'm assuming. I, I, I didn't do any research. If this wasn't filmed on location, then I'm just making two weeks on location. Okay. Two weeks on so location. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume that that's the Eno River, and I used to hike that like two, three times a week. Yeah. So wow. that was kind of cool, too. It, it was. So, it yeah. was all filmed in that research triangle. And I think part of the issue with, with the. Uh, with the domestic gross, you said it did pretty well, but it's it did well in spite of it was banned in Virginia. Yes. Oh. Three girls were murdered in Virginia and it was an unsolved murder. And so the state of Virginia just would not air this film, said it was insensitive timing. Now I kind of wonder because we just had the girl, and thank goodness she turned up, uh, that was abducted in Texas and she was found in a shed in North Carolina. Like, would this happen again? Would we would we release this movie or would it be banned in North Carolina if they're like, hey, this literally just happened. We just found this girl a thousand miles from home in some dude's shed. Let's maybe not air a young girl abduction movie around here. 
Interesting. I did not know either of those tidbits. Oh yeah, that was. I mean, thank goodness she was she was found. But and and if this helps, if this helps anybody who who hasn't been to the area or knows this, uh, the research triangle composes of is composed of Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So it's the area between those three locations. So uh, I lived in Durham. My wife went to residency in Chapel Hill and Raleigh is an awesome place to see concerts. So if you're ever in that ballpark, you can, uh, you can hike the river, watch kiss the girls and then enjoy the, uh, the scenery. It is a cool place. No, don't go into those woods. That is, that is clearly a mistake. In five years, I found zero women tied to trees. That's I, oh, I, I, had a, I had a very clean record while I lived there of zero that, girls tied to trees. That seems low. I mean, <laughs> that seems very low. This guy, the strategy was weird. I guess I kind of get the fetish, but he's like, I only abduct strong willed, defiant women. I'm like that seems like a poor strategy and one that is bound to backfire. And he, he picks a doctor who's, He's aware of the kickboxing because he says, don't try any of that kickboxing stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I get its power, but I'm not going to go abduct Ronda Rousey and see what happens. <laughs> when he says at the end, or at, yeah, the end when he's revealing his motive, it's like one of the best conversations where he's like, you know, do you ever – he says, love is seeing a beautiful woman and saying I've got to have that. And he's like, I've got to break her down. He's like, it's your basest animal instinct. And um, as screwed up as that line of thought is, um, that's, I imagine, is what's behind the motive. It's just this idea that he's going to – it's like they're horses. They can just break in. Yeah, I I guess. I'm just – I look at the serial killer strategy and I've had this disturbing conversation with my wife. I'm like, I could kill people better than this. And this is a this is a terrible idea. I, I don't yeah. give advice to future serial killers, but abducting MMA and people that are training in self defense is a horrible idea. But you know, he isn't really. I mean, he is a serial killer, but I don't think he would have referred to himself as that. No, you know, he I don't... think he was uh, he was the great lover. He was. Oh, the... and, and and let's bring this up too. Would he have killed any of them if they behaved? I don't think so. I think he was a so that, so yeah. So I think I think that's kind of the point. I think the gentleman caller uh, was a murderer. I think that he murdered out of necessity, but had everyone been compliant the whole time, which is against why he abducts them in the first place. So maybe he knows a certain amount of murder is going to be a part of it. But I, I think it's it's more of the the kidnapping dominance piece than it is the killing piece for him. I feel like eventually they're going to break a rule because it's the rules are no no talking, you can't cry out. You basically have to do everything he says, no fighting back. He's giving them that drug that's weakening them. Mm-hmm. Put solution on the skin. Yes, yes. He gives them <laughs> baskets and everything else. They don't get fed regularly it doesn't look like because they're losing weight and then the weird evening gowns for the violin concerts that seem to happen very very frequently i kind of wanted the other girls like why are you there why why are the other girls there i wanted more information but like a miss america talent pageant like everybody reveals their talent does one of them sing they were all supposed to be exceptional but we only get one of them yeah i i don't I don't know. 
but I, I'm, I feel pretty, I feel pretty secure at least broaching the question. Would any of them have been killed if they didn't try to escape or, or break a rule, whatever, whatever the rules may be. Cause there were, yeah, there were what three or four that were killed in the same way, which was terrible. It's like he rapes them violently, ties them to a tree and cuts off their hair. Mm-hmm. which is a very strange thing. Like, yeah. The, the scalping piece is pretty. Yeah. Not, a, not as bad as the other dude with the feet collection and the one yeah. pair of left feet. Like, a, it's like the ultimate form of shame, I guess, you know, to, I don't need to explain why it would, it's shameful to be raped, but then the idea of being tied to a tree and scalp, it's like you're stripped yeah. of the, the things that make you innately female, I suppose. And, yeah, gotcha. um, and so I think, I think that's the, cause, and I think that goes back to the original question of if he would have, if he would have killed them. Cause I think what he admired most about them was their feminine beauty along with their talents and just what made them extraordinary. So the act of, of killing them is more than just killing them. It's stripping all of that away and kind of making them a shell of themselves. Yeah. That's a good point. That one cop with the super inappropriate joke when they find the feet. Oh yeah. They find the two, two left feet and he's like, guess they weren't a dancer. I just wanted to be like, dude, timing. Timing. Right. This isn't CSI. This is like supposed to be like serious. It's not the chuckle hut. Save this yeah. routine for later. You just found fifteen pairs of dead women, like their feet, in a secret refrigerator behind a very nice apartment. Like that was a great apartment for a professor. Yeah, I think he's definitely. I mean, almost everything that he says in the film is distracting. Yeah, like like. This is this is the kind of guy that doesn't do well in at parties. Like <laughs> well, that dude in twenty twenty plus is definitely getting me too'd or something else. Oh, yeah. Like HR is having multiple discussions. He is well known to them. So uh, let's talk about the uh, the director here for just a minute. Um, how do we feel about Gary uh, Fletter? So I I got to be honest I. I'm sure that I have seen a lot of his work, but as a director himself, I, I'm not incredibly familiar with him. You know, you have you, the certain directors that have really unique styles and flares. I couldn't speak to that, but I, I do remember hearing that he shot a lot of the scenes with a unique lens so that rather than having like – if you have three different people in a conversation in a room, a typical camera would pick up that you've got two people kind of faded in the background and then the one person is the central focus, but that he shot on a different kind of camera lens that allowed all three people to be in the main focus. Um, Yeah, it was a double lens. Yes, which um, I guess little flares like that I I can certainly appreciate. But what I love most about this movie is it has kind of a 90s noir film flair to it and i have to imagine that he is really to credit for a lot of that so i um hats off to him yeah brian de palma does a lot of the same shots right i was was talking to russell a little bit after this and 
Russell was complaining it's too close up. Like he loves these close up shots and he was saying it was too dark. I wonder, I didn't feel it was too dark, but I watched the, what was it? 2022 Batman, which was pretty much (laughs) shot entirely in the dark with one or two exceptions. The next Batman is just going to be filmed in a closet. Like they are getting progressively darker. So this was fine. I didn't, I didn't have a problem with any of it. I liked him blurring the woods. I, we saw, we did an episode. It was our 88th episode runaway jury. So that's one of his films. I didn't like his changes to the film because he changed it from tobacco to suing firearms. I think that's a much less convincing argument than suing tobacco. It was still a fun film. It was a, it was a fun adaptation. Well acted. I, I haven't seen a ton of what he's done. Fry, you you might be better off. He does. I remember looking him up. He does a lot of TV stuff. See, he did The Express. And I think he had another suspense one, uh, Don't Say a Word. Oh, yeah, with Brittany Murphy. Yeah, but he jumps around a lot. He's definitely one of those guys that kind of just does what he wants. And, um, yeah, so he's he's got some, like, you know, big picture ticket items sprinkled in there. But if you scroll through most of his stuff, he'll do a TV episode here. He'll Mm. do, you know, some it's, it's, it's random. It looks really random. I would say the biggest thing that ties it together is he does tend to target things that involve police. So it's, you know, one of the, I think he did an episode like the shield or something. So yeah, it's, it's something he definitely kind of pigeonholes toward. Fair enough. I mean, no, know your wheelhouse. Right. And then he did not come back for Along Came a Spider. So that was a different director. Alex Cross. They redid, I think it was 2012. They redid Alex Cross with Tyler Perry. I never saw it. I never saw it. It's, I, I did. I did. It's not bad, but it's, it's not suspense. Like mm-hmm. I found it to be a much more straightforward action movie. It just, it didn't hold the same mystique to it that this one did okay okay i have not seen it i saw that he reprised or he did the alex cross role i've i'll be honest i only know tyler perry from the medea movies so that is my image of him uh he's 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 not bad in it he's not even a bad alex cross although perry's size makes him more of the wrecking ball and less of the intellect at least okay. that's how it carried through in the film. And like I said, it was it's a watchable movie. Um, uh, what's his name was coming off of Lost, and yeah. uh, uh, Matthew, or maybe that was his name in Lost. But anyway, uh, yeah, the main guy from Lost uh, is the antagonist in the Alex Cross movie with Tyler Perry, and uh, it was kind of like interesting to see him as like a straight up like sadistic villain and that sort of thing. So okay. uh, it was fine. It definitely was not the, uh, the series starter that I think that they wanted it to be. I think they wanted yeah. it to be a fresh start for Alex Cross and it was a one-off and meh, but uh, it, it would definitely be the last of the three that if someone was like, oh, I want to watch an Alex Cross movie, what should I watch? That one last. So, Fair enough. Fair enough. Although chronologically it would technically be the first one in terms of his career. All right, so this is a huge part of this film. I want to know how this movie made you feel. How did they do this atmosphere right or wrong, uh, Chad? 
I think they did a good job of making it claustrophobic. They do a lot of blurry shots and there's a lot of kind of drug addled moments where she's trying to get the systole out of her system and they're trying to figure out what it what's in it. Of course, Alex comes up with a solution that the medical team isn't able to. He's like, oh yeah, it's systole. And medical experts who spent their entire lives were like, huh, we didn't think of that. So yeah, it's, it's that's just one of the movie moments, but it's it's creepy. She wakes up and you get the blurry vision, and then you there's a lot of most movies will pull away, but there's a lot of the women getting groped by either Casanova or Rudolph, and they don't pull away from that. And I, as creepy as that is, I think it was a good touch of just this movie is a terrifying experience. The cavern they're in is very enclosed. It's, you just get a feeling of claustrophobia, I think. And it, for me, it, it was very effective. The woods, what a terrifying, confusing place to be lost in. I agree. I agree. Lizzie, thoughts? This movie, really quickly, just to kind of piggyback off of something that you said, Chad, you're talking about how like the women are getting groped and they don't pull away. It kind of feels like because I, I'm i not 100% positive, but I know that this movie was somewhere within the time frame that Ashley Judd was assaulted early on in her career that kind of then years later catapulted the, the Me Too movement itself. So I feel like the idea – you're absolutely right. Like as a woman, like if someone is like touching me inappropriately, like you're going to flinch. Like it's your natural response. In the same way that if um, somebody got close to you into your personal bubble, you're going to kind of flinch and show that you're visibly uncomfortable. But the fact that they don't speaks to the fact that they are terrified, that they quite literally understand that it's a life or death situation for them. And that's kind of a very hyperbolic uh, portrayal of the Me Too movement in a lot of ways. So I feel like the movie itself is kind of meta. So I feel like that's worth mentioning in that in that sense. Now, looking at it 20 years later. But going back to your question, um, Brian, I think the there's something sexy about the South, I have to admit. Like it's just like the heat and the just all all the greenery and there's just something about the South that almost yields itself as an underlying character. And so anytime that there's ever a movie that takes place, whether it's Deep South or – um, or in North Carolina or wherever it may be, I just always feel like in, in of itself, it is an additional character. And I think that is absolutely true in, in this movie as well. I just think the, the woodsiness and the overall atmosphere, you can tell just by the way that their hair is, that there's like this heat and sweat. And I think it, um, that, given the subject matter of the movie, kind of yields itself to an extra creepiness. Agreed. Agreed. I, uh, I, I do like what they did with lighting in this, with franticness. There's a lot of jittery, you know, mm-hmm. especially the chase scenes and that sort of thing. It, you know, so just to you know, tack it on with what you guys said, they do a very, very good job of making you anxious in this yes. film. This is one of the few films where women falling down in the woods while being chased makes sense. 
Like you always criticize that in horror movies, but she is drugged. She's weakened. So falling down in the woods, she, her eye looked terrible at the end. Oh yeah. Yes. Like the way she's running and the cracking of the sticks and the, so much of that camera shot is done from the, like your Ashley's POV. So it feels like you're kind of there you really do put yourself in that situation, like running frantically. And you can – I remember watching it thinking like as she's running, you know she's just getting cut to pieces. Mm-hmm. But you're so – like fight or flight has just completely taken over for her. And you're absolutely right. That final reveal when she turns before she jumps, her whole face is just mangled. I mean it's it's brutal. It's Yeah, and that's true. Um, and a great segue. So – it would probably be my my biggest kudos was for uh, makeup for that scene, but uh, I'm curious uh, how did you guys feel the wardrobe and makeup really did this movie right? I think with the wardrobe, what I always appreciate about movies um, that that have a simple simple wardrobe is the idea that you can really have it span any decade. I appreciate. That if it's not meant to be a period piece, you're just going to dress the characters in just kind of obscure, uh, inconspicuous clothing. And that's really what they did in this. So I think that's part of why this movie holds up so much. You know, she's not wearing, you know, peace signs and tie-dye and things that were really indicative of the 90s. So I think that that works really well. But I think – So for wardrobe, I think the fact that there isn't anything that completely sticks out to me is something that I like uh, apart from the Casanova mask, which felt very Phantom of the Opera to me, which I love. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I will – but as far as makeup, I I think you're absolutely right. I mean everything to me just felt very natural. Nothing felt overdone. But it just – I think the simplicity, it was just like the less is more of it all really did it for me. I'll be the creep and say whenever Casanova says I'm going to provide a wardrobe for you for every occasion, and then they just show up in the black dresses and it's twice we go back to the violin. I kind of wanted different occasions back to the I wanted different women showing off their talent. We torment Naomi, but they're all just in those black evening gowns for that occasion. So uh, I was disappointed in the costumes there and the wardrobes. Uh, but everything else, yeah, I, I agree. You don't, you don't need someone wearing something ridiculous. It's, it's mostly timeless. I couldn't, I'm Russell's far more sensitive to these things than I am. He loves to point out, oh, that's very nineties. He's very astute to fashion, but nothing, nothing stood out as blatantly nineties to me other than like technology. Okay. We're, we're using, It was even like pre-AOL internet. There are just some yes. weird <laughs> weird technology things in here that I think people would laugh about. But otherwise, yeah, it's it everything fits. Agreed. Agreed. How do you guys feel about handing out some superlatives? Love to. Feel great about awesome. it. Let's do it. Excellent, excellent. All right. So we're gonna start off with our MVPs. Chad. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. He, Alex Cross has this kindness and intelligence. It's really hard to get both of those. Morgan Freeman kind of, he does like a 
fatherly, grandfatherly character just so well. He's he's awesome every time he's on the screen. Does it matter to you guys how old Morgan Freeman is that he's still grandfatherly? No. 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 Like I was like I was thinking in my head watching this movie, I was like, he's really young in this, but also right. not. Like Yes, he's an old soul. He just he really yeah. is. You believe him that he would be able to soothe Kate, who's just had the absolute worst experience of her entire life with just a few words. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. MVP, Lizzie. I did the same. And for all the reasons that you just mentioned, I, I just think he is the goat, truly. And you said it perfectly. He's got this, you know, he – he has this goodness to him that is really, really hard to portray, especially in the role of a police officer and psychologist. I think it would have been really easy for him to come off cold. But you said it perfectly, Chad. I mean, he has this this soothing goodness to him that you just – you really, really root for and you can't take your eyes off. I do like yep. the joke they throw in. It's like, do I call you Dr. Detective or Detective? Right. <laughs> Brian Cox, man. Yes. I, I love that guy. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm going with uh, Morgan Freeman also. I think that Denzel would have done a fine job at this, but it, it's definitely a, a Morgan Freeman part. So we'll just round it off with that. Uh, best supporting actor, Lizzie. I put Ashley Judd here. I think uh, earlier I was singing her praises just about how she was able to have an innocence to her that – makes her so likable and I think really kind of perfect for this particular role just in the same way that Morgan Freeman does. I Innocence in the sense of a, a goodness to her, but she's also really tenacious. You know, she's a fighter, not just in kickboxing, but in the sense that, you know, barely 24 hours after she's abducted and she's staring the Casanova right in the screen and that scene where she's like, this is my fault. I didn't do anything. This, those girls didn't do anything. It was, it was all me. And she's brave. And Ashley Judd just plays it perfectly. Excellent. Excellent. Chad, supporting. I love a good villain. So Tony Goldwyn. Nice. I, he's, he's not just the voice, but I, his unhinged Will Rudolph when he's just screaming in the house. He's scary. Yeah. He is yeah. scary. His voice is unbelievable. I love it. Uh, I actually went with uh, Carrie on this one. He he almost exists in that bubble, um, kind of like Robin Williams, where when he plays a bad guy, it's so it's so mind bending that you're like, ooh, that that pops. Like I like that. So That's anyway, I, well I, I like yeah, that. you really don't get the opportunity to see him in this role all that often. And yeah, I just, I, at the end of the movie, after thinking it was a completely different cop the entire time, I was like, that was good. I like that. Big Carrie Elwes fan. Love him. All right. Uh, Let's go with Hidden Gem, Chad. I was really happy to see Tatiana Ali here. She's Mm -hmm. just in literally anything other than the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She, she is Janelle Cross. Right. Lizzie, uh, Hidden Gem. I went with Brian Cox here because I feel like yes. he basically just has a cameo, more or less. It is. And it is totally. I am 
a huge Succession fan. I can, oh, I just am utterly obsessed with that show. It is the fourth season, I believe, fourth or fifth. Whatever it was, it's the final season is premiering this coming Sunday. And I am a bated breath. I cannot wait. And I love his – he has like a Colonel Sanders vibe to him in this movie. <laughs> I just – I love it. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I went with uh, – this is the this, the actor or actress I wasn't going to mention early. Uh, Mina Savari is the first victim that you see killed in this yeah. film. I had no idea that was her. I, I it, it, it 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 took me reading the cast list, and I was like, and then I had to look up the character to find out which one it was. That's Did hilarious. not look like her to me. I, I yeah, I had no idea she was in it. So that was a nice little uh, a tidbit. So let's talk about who we would recast, Lizzie. So recast, I put Alex MacArthur. He plays Sykes, so he's one of the police officers. Mister Awkward. Yes, mm-hmm. I feel like they wanted him to be. Uh, red herring. They, you know, there's that scene right at the end when they think that it's all over and you've caught him, and Sykes is driving away and kind of gives Alex this dirty look to make you think, is it over? Is it not over? And I think they really want you to think that it's going to be Sykes at the door when, um, towards the end of the movie, when Ashley opens it. I would replace thinking about Carrie Elwes and his body of work. I am a really big Robin Hood Men in Tights fan, so I yes. think Dave Chappelle should be in that role. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would do a really good job because it's – I mean, he's been in some serious roles before. I think he right. has acting chops, and it's just such a tiny little role. There's hardly any speaking parts, so I think it would just be like some eye candy to enjoy and laugh at in, in that particular context so i i i think dave Chappelle would have done great bring in blinken yes right (laughs) now robin this ain't exactly the mississippi yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm on the east bank i'm on the west bank i'm on the north side i love it excellent excellent uh chad who are you recasting i feel so bad because i'm going after two people and both of whom you've praised over and over i Ashley Judd won awards. I thought she was dreadful. I, oh, oh my gosh! I didn't like her at all. Why? My I Chad's getting after it. I felt like Reese Witherspoon would have done a better job. She's she's Reese only twenty. Witherspoon. Yes, yeah, she's only twenty three, so that's problematic. She so pro- box to save her life. She- oh yeah, she could. <laughs> but uh, someone like Annie McDowell is probably more age appropriate and has that better accent. That's fair. And for Carrie Elwes. I know he's done American characters. I didn't find his accent believable. He has a weird Southern accent. So I'm throwing Woody Harrelson in here. Like accents and issues. I don't agree with you on Ashley Judd, but I could feel Woody Harrelson. I could vibe with that. I look, I, and I love Woody. So I have a hard time. Like I I would never be like, well, absolutely not. That's just not going to happen with, with Woody. He was a bad carnage. All right, so where? All right, so if you didn't find uh, Carrie's accent believable, how did you feel about his accent in Glory? He was a Union soldier. He still had the accent, though. It it wasn't it like was a heavy better. Southern accent. Okay, I'm yes. just curious, like how was his non-British accent in this? It, or in it's 
fine, but when he's trying to do a North Carolina accent, he is no bueno. Okay. All right. He was just recently in a Christmas movie, Christmas in a Castle with Brooke Shields. It's like a Netflix Lifetime movie. He has like the most ridiculous Scottish accent. Nice. He did a he did a southern accent and twister. He shouldn't. Harry Elwes? Yeah. Remember he's like the the rival group leader trying to get the the, the thing to fly? I don't. I the last time I saw Twister was nineteen ninety seven. Oh my gosh. He goes he goes, Oh, I get it. You're trying to take credit for my design. I, I kind of am here for his southern accent. I think it's cute. I, I'm here. Yeah, I, 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 I think I'm right. Harry Elwes. I, I, anything, he's one of those actors for me. Anything that he is in, I'm going to see just because I enjoy his personality. And I think, love it or hate it, I, I love just watching him. Oh, yeah. So for my recast, I went after J.O. Sanders, who plays FBI agent Craig. And just because it makes me happy, I'm replacing him with Bruce Campbell. Nice. I don't have any, I don't have any real reason to do that. But I mean, I could see Bruce Campbell play a FBI agent that is not in the movie all that much. But you're like, hey, what's up, man? So yeah, <laughs> I like that. Just, just, just because it makes me happy, I'm replacing him with Bruce Campbell. But now you've replaced the director with Sam Raimi. <laughs> That's probably they, they come as yeah. a pair. I would still watch it. I would yes. still watch the movie. That'd be kind of interesting. Uh, I'd be here for it. Right? Right? Her eyeball would be a lot more gory. <laughs> it sure would. Out and hanging off yeah. her cheek. <laughs> right. She has an eye patch the rest of the film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, best shot, Chad. I mean, it's got to be the headshot through the milk carton, right? Like, well, I mean, that's the. Yeah, yeah. But I, I found the blurry cinematography compelling. I usually hate it but it makes sense here. So I, I don't think there's one particular, just the wood shots when uh, Kate is just running through the woods and everything's blurry, like Lizzie was describing, and you hear the crunching. It's it's disorienting and perfect for the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lizzie? I put something similar. I put the shot when in, it's her stunt double, but when the stunt double jumps into the river, because I love the the blurry shot but i all, and I, she's like you know kind of doing this like windmill motion with her arms but what i really love about it is that they there's no music and all you can hear is her breathing she makes yeah. this like <sighs> kind of sound that she's like actively trying to prepare herself for this gigantic blast she's going to face in the water and the anxiousness that i get during that scene not only because it's so close to the rocks but because I think we've all been in a situation, I imagine, like I i don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation like this, but I've been in a car accident before where you can – you have like two or three seconds where you know it's coming and you just have to take a breath to brace yourself for the impact you know is about to come. And that is what that scene reminds me of. So it's just – it was shot so perfectly that it just gives you that spike of anxiety. Mm. I gotcha. Absolutely. Um, I went with the various uh, scenery shots. I really enjoyed trying to figure out where I'd been in this one. Uh, it, that it was, it, it got to a point where they did so many pan ins from like, like 
I'm going to say drone level, but from up above down. And uh, I I got to look forward to them. Like that, that was, that was just kind of a fun thing. Best scene, Lizzie. For me, the best scene is the whole sequence at the end when Nick comes over to the house and they're cooking together. And now you know that it's Nick, that Nick is the killer. Morgan Freeman is about to, you know, Alex is about to find out, but um, but Kate doesn't quite yet. And there's that, she's like, you know, can you hand me the big kitchen knife? And you're just- Which is a totally normal way of saying that. Yes, right. Yeah. And she's like, oh, can you hand me the, you're going to need a colander for that. It's right over here. And he knows exactly no, where everything is, is in her kitchen. And they're having a conversation about, you know, all the different safety precautions that that she could take. And he starts talking to her about her trash and just that entire sequence for me, even though I have seen it a million times, I'm always on the edge of my seat thinking that somehow it's going to play out differently. It's just brilliantly done, like perfect 90s thriller scene. Did you feel like? Dave Chappelle at the end with the skit with Wayne Brady, when she's just in a corner, he's handcuffed. He can't go anywhere. And instead of run, you know what? She's making a tourniquet for her arm. Like just the, you're leaning against a doorpost. Just right. get out. And leave. <laughs> oh man. Chad. Oh, uh, I, <laughs> I I love a bad guy rule scene. So the initial rule scene with Casanova and Kate, it's terrifying. She's disoriented. You just hear this voice and just this blur. And it's a straight up real life, true crime scenario. So that all makes it far more frightening. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Oh, uh, my, my favorite scene. I'm actually with Lizzie on this one. The, the dialogue between Nick and Ashley Judd. And even once, even once uh, Morgan Freeman gets there, I feel like everything in that sequence has a, a, an essential part to understanding everything you had just watched. And yeah, it was definitely my favorite. Do you guys have a best wardrobe or makeup moment? Chad? I do. I like killer masks. So Casanova's mask, he has a couple of them, are really fantastic. Uh, they're never truly in focus. Lizzie nailed it with Phantom of the Opera. But I think some of them, it's almost like a softer version of Michael Myers, too. So I, I like everything that they're invoking. They're just creepy enough. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Lizzie. I put Ashley Judd's hair. And uh, in the beginning of the movie, it's... When you're first introduced to her, it's put in this like little braid and tied back with a ribbon, which I think is possibly why I always refer to her as innocent. It's something that I tie in because I just – I look at braids, especially that have a ribbon tied back and it's just – there's something very childlike and innocent about it. And her hair before she's abducted is either tied back in that same style with a ribbon or it's down and wild. After she's abducted, it's straight and controlled and either pulled completely back into a bun or it's like straight with a headband. And so I kind of thought that was interesting if maybe they were trying to, to 
communicate something there of like bef- like an perhaps like an innocence being stolen. So like now everything's very controlled and, and orderly as it would be after you've gone through some kind of big trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I went with the, uh, the makeup done to her uh, after her run through the woods with the crazy eye and everything like that. I, I thought that was awesome. That was excellent. Uh, change one thing, Lizzie. So there's a scene in the movie where Morgan Freeman is in his hotel room and he is given a letter from Casanova. He sees it, immediately freaks out, pulls out his his gun and, you know, he's in basically in his jammies and he's running through the hotel. He points the gun at a sweet little old couple and like doesn't even really apologize because right. he's just so frantic. I think mm-hmm. I understand why they did that, but I I would probably just cut that scene. I think if I think he could have gotten mail in a way that didn't necessarily need him to run around with a gun in a hotel room. I just to me there was something that kind of rang unrealistic to me. I don't I don't think that you'd ever see a cop just kind of like waving his gun around in a hotel room like that. Somebody hasn't been to Morgantown. Yeah. Uh, Chad, change one thing. Uh, honestly, with this movie, there were a bunch of silly things, but what bothered me the most was our editor. He drove me nuts with how he was splicing scenes together, and we'd have these really serious plot points with an abrupt transition to Wu-Tang. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a serious plot point, and then a swim meet, and it all just felt super jarring fry you were just ranting on our thread about a book that does this a very serious and then completely irrelevant i don't want to see basketball after we've learned about a woman being raped like that is that is such an awkward transition so that his editor did him no favors the length right on par but come up with different transitions sure yeah absolutely uh in the same realm as a cop wouldn't do this name me a serial killer that knows you're a kickboxer and willingly hands you a giant knife not once but twice (laughs) i was just sitting there like yo there's no way she's she's already beaten you twice without a knife here have this large kitchen knife like just stop it he thinks he broke her though her hand's shaking I, I hear you, but still, who who leaves that level of stuff to, to chance? I, I do I just, love the hold, holding his arms open and go ahead. And then she just immediately, I was like, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Because every other movie, they would just tremble and get the knife taken away. Yeah. So I did appreciate that she's just like, okay, stab. I was disappointed how little that worked. That was like. Yeah, she, she definitely should have. Uh, what was the uh, the line from Scream? Dewey, head, head, yes, yes. head. <laughs> yeah. well, she had a couple of those moments where she leave, she escapes the cell, and I understand there's complete panic and she's drugged, but it's like, please lock him in that cell. That's like, what Aaron said. He was like, just lock him in, and then you're done. <laughs> yes, right. shut the door. Yep, I agree. Best quote, Chad. If he's so dumb, how come we ain't caught him yet? yeah that guy oh man all right uh best quote lizzie so 
it's in the conversation in the climax where right before the milk with Nick, I I really liked Morgan Freeman's response when Nick is talking about, you know, his idea of love and like breaking a woman down and he's like, you know, that's your true self. He's like, he's, you'll meet him. He's ugly. And Morgan Freeman's response is like, yeah, I run into him from time to time. It's like, but I'm not like you. I don't hate. And um, I thought that was super interesting because way back uh, several episodes ago, I like wrote like a little like couple paragraphs about Star Wars when you guys did the episode. And what I love about Darth Vader is kind of the same thing of like, I think everybody has the capacity for for darkness, but I feel like you you have a choice. And I think Nick is just like this, you know, a psycho. And he thinks that women are his possessions to take and take control of. And so I think Nick being able – or sorry, um, Alex being able to acknowledge like, yeah, of course I have like animalistic desires and needs, but I would never take those needs and then turn it into something that's so – dark and horrific and just evil in the way that you have. And um, so I thought that was kind of interesting how he was able to throw that back at him. Yeah, absolutely. I liked it when uh, Casanova is talking over top of his prodigy or uh, cohort. It's just kind of this ethereal voice talking. And it just says, uh, face it, Will, I'm your mentor and you're the bad seed. Like mm-hmm. that lordly, just like disembodied voice speaking out was awesome. All right. So let's do some ratings. Uh, Lizzie, on a scale of zero to five, five being the best, zero being the absolute worst, what are you giving Kiss the Girls? You know, I give it a five-star movie. I think this movie understands the assignment. It is thrilling. It's fun. The cast is stacked. It has rewatchability, which is really huge for me when I think about ratings. And as far as particular movies for this genre, I just think it hits it out of the park. Awesome. Chad? I went with three and a half. I I think so. That's that's a great rating. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is not typically my genre. This is as you can tell you guys have run circles around me during the entire episode. So listen to their opinions, not mine, but the accents bothered me. Some of the silly decisions in this movie either by Alex or by Kate, they bothered me and I understand the situation is traumatic, so maybe you know, I've never been put through that trauma. I may make stupid decisions too, but it's hugely entertaining. I think the critics got this a hundred percent wrong. It doesn't deserve where it's at on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, if you're a crime thriller fan and you haven't seen this, you owe it to yourself. Check it out. It's great. I agree. Uh, and because I don't do half point ratings, uh, please don't be offended by my three star rating for this film. <laughs> it is. I, I this is a very very solid crime thriller movie. It may not make my top ten. But that's not saying that it isn't excellent at what it does. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I agree with Chad. It's, if this is something you're into, you got to watch this movie because it is very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you recommended it. I'm glad I got to see it. And I'm glad it wasn't a rom-com. Like, 
once I got over that hump. <laughs> right. This is not going to be romantic. This is a weird way to start a movie with dead women in pictures. <laughs> How is this going to be romantic? Oh, it's not. We need a thriller in, in here. So happy, happy to bring the thrillers to the to the group. Oh, I've never seen Brian. We had to scramble. Brian did us a huge favor and last minute replacement because one of our hosts got sick. And Brian's just like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Volunteer tribute. Yes. Um, yeah. I, uh, this is, this is a fun time for these kind of movies. Like if, if this is something you're just getting into and you're listening, I mean, you could go on a deep dive on just all of the wonderful nineties crime thriller and early two thousands crime thriller. I actually think it's, it's a genre that's been largely forgotten about this day and age. I don't feel like they do really any, if in definitely not enough of this sort of thing anymore. Are we ready to pick out a movie for next time? Yeah, let's, let's pick a movie for next time. It is mockumentary week. So we have three mockumentaries excited. This is a fun genre. So option number one, this is Spinal Tap from 1984. Spinal Tap, one of England's loudest bands, is chronicled by film director Marty DeBerge on what proves to be a fateful tour. Option two, Waiting for Guffman from 1996. An aspiring director and the marginally talented amateur cast of a hokey small-town Missouri musical production go overboard when they learn that someone from Broadway will be in attendance. Or option three, Best in Show from 2000 a behind-the-scenes look into the highly competitive and cutthroat world of dog shows through the eyes of a group of ruthless dog owners. Lizzie, what are we going to watch? As much as I adore Best in Show, I am a musical gal, so we have to go with Waiting for Guffman. Okay, Red, White, and Blaine it is. Fantastic. Absolutely. And listen, thank both of you for being on here tonight. Uh, thank you to all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's mostly audio only, but we might do something here about that in the future. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro email us at retro movie roundtable at yahoo.com producing and providing for this podcast is fun but not free we invite you to support the show at our patreon page www.patreon.com slash retro movie roundtable forward slash any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you the listeners as always thank you for listening be good to each other and watch more movies keep the change you filthy animal